Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Clam comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody. Guess what? It's me, Brian Baumgartner, here welcoming you very warmly to a very special episode of Off the Beat. What a year it's been. Am I right? Where did the year go? I can't believe we're already to the end of 2023. I don't know about you guys, but I tend to get a little nostalgic at the end of the year, and I I can't help but reflect on everything that's happened this year. The memories made, all of the fascinating people that I have had the great good fortune and pleasure of meeting and speaking to, and most of all, getting to share so many of those conversations with all of you, my truly amazing listeners. Making this podcast, this is a highlight for me every single week, and I want to thank all of you for allowing me to keep doing it for another year. And since I'm being sentimental, guess what? We're going to take a look back on this year of Off the Beat. Listen back to a few of the many insightful, informative, and at times extremely funny moments that have happened on the show. Now, this isn't a ranked list or or even moments in any particular order. In fact, there are so many more moments I wish I could have included, but... If I truly wanted to put in all of my favorite moments, well, then you would just have to listen back to every single episode (laughs) from this year. So I I thought I'd save you a little time, pick out just a few fantastic clips that I love, and I hope that you will too. Let's dive in. 
shall we? To start us off, let's listen to this story from the legendary Angela Gibbs sharing how she started off. And well, it wasn't as Angela Gibbs per se. You'll hear what I mean. I was very political. I was a hippie slash revolutionary. Remember, my name is Angela. They were looking for Angela Davis. You know, I thought <laughs> I, it was it was on me to carry on, you know? <laughs> and so I went to Africa, changed my name to Utamu. Don't tease me. And, you Utamu? know. It was Utamu, yes. <laughs> and Why? I, why? Wait, I can't, I can't just let it go. I'm, oh, come on now. <laughs> what, what? Why? Well, you know what? Back then. Does that mean about, something? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, here's. Okay. This is where it gets worse. The story starts to go downhill because my name was Utamu and that was, you know, taking on my African culture and heritage. And I wanted a new name to kind of, you know, uh, express my connection to Africa. The problem was the friend who gave me the name. <sighs> The problem was this. <laughs> People would say, oh, Utamu, what does that mean? Right. And I said, sweetness. sweetness. Can you imagine I'm a young woman, not bad looking. <laughs> the guys are like, yeah, I bet you are. I'm like, this has nothing to do with the revolution. I want a new name. <laughs> So my son teases me. I got a name change to Ioka, and then they okay. call me Ioka for a while. That meant light. She comes with light. Okay. Turns out my middle name, Elaine, means the same thing. So I eventually <laughs> just dropped it off. Even my mother knew what she was doing. Because I came from Africa, and I said, my name is Utamo. And she said, I named you Angela. <laughs> I said, well, I'm not answering to anything but Utamo, and I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> My mother says she has lost her mind, but I digress. I digress. So I came back and back then there weren't a lot of roles that we could play right. as black women. So I decided to go away to college and she teases me because she's still knocking down doors. I've worked with John Forsythe. I've had a pilot. I've had some things. I've been on Sanford and Son. I've done the film yes. and I left. I left, you know, and I I, I, I kind of look back now. I used to regret it. I used to think it was a mistake because when I came back, my mother was Florence. <laughs> but I, like, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I should have stayed in L.A. <laughs> but I'm glad because I wanted to have a purpose, even as a young woman. I wanted my life to matter. I wanted to be involved in things that made a difference in the community. And ended up coming back and opening up a theater. So it was meant to be. Now, Brian, I didn't know it was going to take me this long. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, man, did it take a long you, time? <laughs> you you wanted to take a short break, and it yeah. ended up being a little bit longer a little than bit you would longer. Want it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So you know, Shirley Ralph, she's singing my song when she said, "Don't give up." You know, my saying right. is, "If you stay in line, your turn will come." So when I came back, I realized I loved this so much that, hey, whether I make it or not, and you know, make it meaning, whether I make a living at it or not, I, I got to keep acting. And I think when I finally got there, things started to change. You know, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> well, I for one am very glad that she came back stateside and did what she did here, and I'm glad she stuck with the name Angela too. In fact. There might be something special about that name because I spoke to another extremely successful, brilliant, and hilarious 
Angela this year, Angela Johnson Reyes. Here she is describing how she weaseled her way into a very fortuitous gig on a little show you might have heard of. You start in Los Angeles, you move, your friend is helping you, and fairly quickly you get to do that thing, which is stand by a car, and you're on Friends, is this right, as a regular extra for a couple of seasons? Yes. I don't remember you, but I believe you were there. Listen, I people will screenshot me and tag me on <laughs> you know, social media sometimes. They'll be like, is this you? And I'm like, yeah, girl, believe it. <laughs> and my hair was so long. It was like down to my waist. Like I'm, I was like young and vibrant. But yes, I remember I thought I had made it. I was like, this is it. I'm here living my dreams. And even the story of how that happened, I remember going to Central Casting where... Yeah. You know, they cast all the extras for TV shows and movies. And my friend who said she was going to help me get started, she kept her word and she told me exactly what to do. She was like, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to central casting. There's going to be a line of people waiting out the door, but don't wait in line. I want you to come with a tray of cookies and your Raider at headshot. And I want you to just go to the front window and ask for Sam and then give him your headshot and the cookies. Tell him you're new to town and you want to be an extra. And I was like, this sounds real sleazy. (laughs) It's just, I don't know what cookies mean in Hollywood, but (laughs) you listen. And so I show up to central casting and sure enough, there's a line of people outside waiting to sign up to be an extra on TV. And I'm like passing all these people with my sleazy cookies. And I'm like, they know exactly what I'm doing. And this is probably like, I don't know, a month after the Super Bowl. This is after the Raiders were just in the Super Bowl. Right. I show up and I'm waiting for this guy, Sam. He comes walking out from the back offices and he's wearing a Raiders hat. And I was like, oh my God, no way. <laughs> and he's like, hey, what's up? And I, I give him the cookies and my Raider at headshot. And I was like, this is for you. And he sees my Raider at headshot and he's like, what? no way like clearly he's just like the biggest Raiders fan we just came off the Super Bowl right like no freaking way Raider oh my gosh whatever and he's like yeah here give me your name and number I'll call you blah 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 whatever so I do that and I leave I don't even sign up and he calls me like two days later and he's like hey do you want to be an extra on Friends and I was like you mean like my favorite show of all time (laughs) yes yes I do want to be an extra on Friends And so he signs me up in the system and I don't know what I'm doing, but he gives me all my instructions, park in this parking lot, walk to this stage, blah, 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 blah. And I remember my first time walking on the Warner Brothers lot and it was just magical. It was like butterflies and just goosebumps and walking by the soundstage. And then, you know, the smell of a soundstage, like it's that paint and wood and there's just something about it. And it's just like all the things are like, this is, wow, this is movies. This is TV. This is, I'm doing it. And I remember walking into the stage at the the big door was open and um, I I just walk right in and you see like, here's the guy's apartment. Here's the girl's apartment. Here's central perk. And here's, you know, the studio audience where the audience sits. And I just remember walking in and being like a kid in a candy store. could not believe I was living my dream. Like I was just here to be an extra, but that was 
not even what was on what was on my mind was like, I cannot believe I made it. Like I am here. This is wild. And I ended up um, making friends with the AD who was very funny and I was funny. So we would just make each other laugh. And so he'd be like, okay, I'm going to bring you back tomorrow. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll come back tomorrow. <laughs> and then he's like, okay, I'll bring you back next week. And next thing you know, I'm an extra for season nine and 10, like a regular, just in the coffee house. And they end up inviting me to their Christmas party. And I was able to have a conversation with every single one of the cast members without me being that weird extra who's just trying to talk to them, you know? And yes, yes. It, was, it was just an incredible experience that still until this day, 20 years later, it's my favorite job I've ever had. Now, coming from a woman who was a former Raiderette, went on to be on Mad TV and had a hugely successful stand-up career, it is pretty high praise that being an extra on Friends is still her favorite job. My next guest also had a stint on Friends. Well, not on the show itself, but Kevin Riley was an executive at NBC during its run there. Let's hear him discuss how another enormous primetime hit came to be and one that didn't do so great. You also, during that time, developed ER yeah. for the network. Yeah. And you supervised the first season of Law and Order. I mean, yeah. these are legendary primetime television shows both going over 20 seasons so i I guess they let you off of the saturday morning eventually they did they did yeah yeah (laughs) then i kind of came back and uh did that again crazy you know the success squeaks its three through in weird ways you know like we went through in the office where you know a super impactful generational show barely squeaked its way through life. I mean, that was my experience more often than not. I mean, Law and Order, which is now thought of as like this insane institution, you know, for a lot of listeners are probably like, yeah, my mother's watched it forever. (laughs) But at the time, it was this very novel thing. Dramas were not selling into syndication because nobody wanted to buy one hour shows. So Dick Wolf literally designed it as two half hour shows originally that we're going to do the law and the order but then they could be joined on the first run on television, but then they would be syndicated separately. NBC bought this show, not because they wanted this. This was Dick's like big show, but they wanted his hit show, which was going to be a thing called Nasty Boys, which was these guys with a souped up boat and they were a squad that came in in mass and they seized your property for drug raids and things. And when they did, they got to keep it. So they had super cool motorcycles and boats and <laughs> it was not a good show. And right. I'm right. working on, I'm, you know, now only a couple of years into my career and they kind of gave them to me in this. And I oversaw them. Everybody was like, how's nasty boys going? I was like, you know, this thing law and order is like, really, Oh yeah. That's talk about nasty boys. So nasty boys aired. I think it like came and went in less than one season. and. Law and Order was not a huge hit out of the gate, but was always a very kind of groundbreaking show at the time in terms of its rhythms and the kind of the dour. It was one of the early shows that talk, took policing as policing was kind of a, talking about a job, you know, like guys would right. be there like, you know, talking about their donuts and sort of stepping over the body, not like the old cops who were like, we need to solve this case, you know, which was like right. the old school way. Like, they're like, yeah, look, we see a lot of this stuff. and you know, witnesses weren't cooperative and 
lawyers had to make deals and it was those were like kind of a step forward and then you know that was an institution and then ER was a similar kind of thing where it was when it was screened it was in the screening room from the powers that be were like we don't get it <laughs> you know? right talk to me a little bit cuz those two shows i consider at least differently what people refer to as procedurals yeah and then there's what's the opposite of that well, there were serialized shows. So they're, serialized. they're actually two different things. So the procedural means a closed-ended thing, you know, and that's yes. one of the reasons that Law & Order had such incredible staying power. You didn't need to see season one. You didn't need to binge season five to catch up. You just, you could drop in any episode, a body dropped in the beginning, and the crime was solved at the end, case closed. And yeah. they've done, I don't know, at this point between the franchise of all the different iterations, I, I don't know how many hundreds of episodes, thousands maybe at this point, but a serialized show, which ER was, and, and many other great shows, and many of the biggest shows today are, you know, it's an ongoing storyline. Now, you had procedural elements in ER, which is, you know, the, the medical cases would close. Right. You know, come on, stat, get on the thing, come on. Somebody's right. going to lose, she's going to lose the baby, you know. Oh, great. At the end of the thing, they save the baby. Like, so, all right, so that's closed. But the ongoing soap opera part of it, if you will, would go on sometimes the whole season. Right. And then you had to kind of catch up. And, you know, it was really weird. To, you know, it was a very sticky way of watching television. But you think about it now, there was no catch up or binge device. You had to just kind of watch to stay. You current. had to watch. Next time you're watching Law and Order late at night, maybe in a hotel room or wherever you happen to be flipping through the channels, be sure to thank Kevin and the Nasty Boys, of course, for putting it there for you. We'll be right back. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, 
acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back, just like I told you. And our next clip comes from the brilliant actor and comedian Maz Jobrani, who was born in Iran and raised in California. Let's hear him talk about some, well, shall we say, cultural differences he had to bridge between his Iranian upbringing and his American dreams. Coming to America, I mean, you know, as a six year old and then seven and all those young ages, you don't want to be different. You know what right. I'm saying? It's like the last thing you want is to be different. And first coming over from Iran to America, Iran, I think, had some European influence. So my mom would dress me up a little more European-y. And already in America, they're like, you know, what's wrong with you? Why are you wearing those clothes? <laughs> and then and then there was times when like just little minor things became big things in our grade, right? So we had a day called Pizza Day. And Pizza Day was where every kid was going to bring some ingredient to the school, we're going to cook pizza together. This is, I think, third grade. Okay. And so I was in charge of sausages. So I go grocery shopping with my mom and my aunt. And in Persian, the word for hot dog is sosis, sausage, sosis. So we're there. I go, yeah, I need sausages. They go, oh, you need sosis. So they give me a pack of hot dogs, which really is like, I mean, it's a, it's a small sausage, really. I mean, right. sausages are- It know, is. It is. Yes. So I show up with a you know pack of hot dogs, and of course all the kids, ha ah, ha, he brought hot dogs. I go, no, these are sausages. Those are hot dogs. Ah. You know, it's like ruined my 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 whole life. And I go home and tell my mom, these are not sausages. This is hot dogs. She's like, this is sausages. Now that story comes full circle when years later I went to study abroad in Italy when I was in college. I go to a pizzeria and they have pizza with hot dogs on it. <laughs> And I'm like, you bastards. I was right all along. So, yeah. So I was just trying to blend in, man. I just wanted to be American. I I mean, I played baseball. I, I you know, American culture. Like, that's probably where I discovered. Listen, all, by the way, also, my dad, and I think this was just parenting of the time, I didn't play catch with me or any of that. I mean, he was a great father. He was very generous. He was giving. Right. But he wasn't like, let's go outside and play catch, you know. <laughs> right. Um so because of that, like I was learning a lot of stuff from American television. So I'd sit there and watch hours. I'd watch Woody Woodpecker, Popeye, uh, Leave it to Beaver, all these reruns. That's that's how I think I came upon comedy. My first, you know, like finding Eddie Murphy when I was 10 years old and going, what's Saturday Night Live? I want to do this, you know? So yeah, I was trying to blend in. Yeah, I read Eddie Murphy was one of your first loves. That sounds weird, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. one of your heroes, uh, one of your first heroes. There you go yeah, in yeah. comedy. When did you start? 
performing? Were you in school plays or? Yeah, it was basically so uh, in the seventh grade, there had they had a musical. I went to Del Mar Middle School in Northern California and Tiburon. They were doing The Boyfriend. And I don't know why we all decided to do it, but a handful of guys decided to do it, some girls. And I go, let's try this. So I go and I audition. And again, it was seventh and eighth. So most of the leads went to the eighth graders. Seventh graders were just background dancers. And there was a lady named Shirley Bombright. She was our director. And Shirley Bombright said, when you're doing a musical, when you're on stage, you always need to be smiling when you're dancing, smiling and singing and radiating. Oh, and she said, the other thing she said is, you're part of an ensemble, so you better be here. So one day I, I go to the rehearsal. I go, uh, Miss Bombright, I just got to let you know I'm a little under the weather. I got a cold, but you told me I got to be here. So I came, I'm here. And then we start the rehearsal and I'm up there, I'm singing, I'm dancing, I'm smiling. And then she stops the whole rehearsal. Everybody stops, stops. She goes, look at him. Look at him. You see him? He's sick. He's here. He's singing. He's smiling. You got to learn from him. And I was like, oh, that's me. <laughs> so it was a moment of like positive reinforcement, made me feel I can do this. And then the year later, eighth grade, I come back and I get the lead. I'm Little Abner and Little Abner. Okay. And, you know, I've been bitten. I, I loved it. And I just wanted to do it. And, and I, every time I tell, I, I, I tell a story how like throughout my, my schooling, they would always be like, oh, you've got what it takes to do this. So my parents would come to the shows and the director or the teacher would say, you know, your kid's got the thing for this. And my parents, oh, thank you, thank you. And we'd get in the car and my dad would be like, that bitch is crazy. Don't listen to her. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be a doctor or a lawyer. You know? <laughs> so they had, they didn't see the, the spark inside you. They were yeah. not interested in you pursuing this as a career. Right yeah, least. it wasn't that they didn't see the spark. It's that I think, you know, again, immigrant parents, that's all they knew. And it was a previous generation. I was just talking to somebody about how my daughter's 12 now and I'm encouraging her to become a DJ. Okay. And I was like, <laughs> if I went to my Iranian dad back then, so I want to be a DJ, he'd be like, a D what? You know, he'd be like, what are you talking about? But, you know, we live in a different world where people are making millions on TikTok or whatever. And so back then, I don't think they understood at all what this meant or how it went. I think you turned out all right, Maz. And I know your daughter will make a fantastic DJ. My final guest for today is my dear old friend, Rain Wilson. You know him, of course, as Mr. Dwight K. Schrute from The Office, but maybe he kind of sort of wishes you knew him for some of his other stuff, too. But now my son... He's going off to college. Can you believe it? No. Walter was born. Walter was born during the hot girl, purse girl episode of season one. That's right. In a really traumatic birth. Yes. You ran from set to yeah, go to, to, to the, the hospital, hospital yeah. because there was a, a medical issue. Yes. Now and, I know. And and uh, and now he's going off to college. So I'm going to have more time to do theater. He He's like the physical embodiment of how long we yeah. all were together. Just as he grew, it was like, oh, wow, we've been together a long time. And now he's going off to college, which is it's nuts. Nuts. Yeah. Just nuts. nuts. Yeah. But once he's gone, he's our only kid. And then I've got a little more freedom so I can go do theater for very little money for six months here or five months there. So I'm, I'm very excited about, about doing that. Because for me, you know, I always have a little bit of the mystical, spiritual nature in me. And for me, acting is about the, the, there is a magic about transforming into characters. Yes. And people always are like, 
you know, Dwight gets so much attention and focus about who I am as an actor and as a person. And that's great. I'm so grateful. Those nine years were magical, amazing. What a great character. The writing, the cast, the the you know the the producers everything like the the fans the support it's 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 been incredible but people don't realize this and a lot of people aren't in the acting world like i played dozens of characters before i played dwight right and since i've finished dwight i've played another couple dozen characters right so for me it's about transforming into characters and telling stories i played Hamlet in school. I did Eugene O'Neill at the arena stage. I did Philadelphia. Here I come at the Guthrie. I did, you know, I did Shakespeare tours. I've done lots of little, I played the creepy guy in supermarket and CSI, but, but they're all characters. They're just like, you know, I hope that when I die, people will, yes, I, I look at Dwight, but be like, wow, look at all the crazy different characters this guy played. Like, right. This was a panoply of of very different characters, dozens and dozens and dozens over his life. And I love that act of transformation. It's so satisfying to me to just, to build and develop and play a character and then play a completely different character, you know, the, the month after. Yeah, I, I, feel, I really feel this way, that for you and I, I think we have a unique bond and excitement about what you just talked about, like actually creating the physicality, the inner life, the external differences from ourselves mm. and melding that with who we are, that that for me as well, that is really my favorite thing in the world. Yeah. Like it's, just, it's, I keep using the word something. transformation, but yes. you walk different, you speak different, you think different, you see the world different. Uh, you have a different kind of energy. All of these things need to transform to create a character. Now, of course, I'm at the basic building blocks are Rain Wilson. So I'm going to be using this big, weird, ungainly body, and I'm going to always see things through a certain lens. So you're always going to see Rain Wilson in those characters, and that's right. also a magical thing. But that's that's what I love about the the theater, and I think why you know. Um, People have always loved the theater and they love to see their favorite actors transform. Do you resent that people only want to see you be Dwight? Sometimes I do, to be really honest, you know, to be perfectly frank. It's just like, I'll do an independent film that I work my ass off on and play a, a villain or, you know, played something completely different than me, right. you know, unhinged person or something, you know, really funny or whatever. And I'll promote it on like social media. They'll be like, Hey Dwight. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Dwight. And, <laughs> exactly. and it's, and it's, it's like, guys, I get it. I get it. You love the show. I do too. It's beautiful. But also can you respect me as an artist and that I'm trying to do some other things here too. Right. But at the end of the day, I, I've been really lucky because I, I even think like the last 10 years since I got out of the office, I've done a lot of really cool stuff. I did this show Backstrom. No one really watched it. I did the show Utopia. Backstrom is the role you stole from me. That is. God, I wanted to play that role so bad and they just really wanted you. 
I wanted to play that role. I mean, we've discussed this. Yeah. Not in a long time. Yeah. But literally when I look at your at your at your when I looked at your sheet and I see Backstrom, I'm like, oh, motherfucker. Uh, that one that one still. Yeah. Yeah. There's another version of Backstrom. There's another Maybe it a lot of maybe it would have worked and been better and stayed on the air with you as the uh No, I know. As the cop. No, no it's true. Well. No. But the point I'm making is that you know, this show Utopia on Amazon. Um, I did Harry Mudd on Star Trek and a bunch of independent films and some theater. And like, I really love the actor's life that I've had post office. Yeah. People haven't given a shit about any of it. Like, no one is like, Dwight. <laughs> but um, it's been really, uh, it's been fun for me. And these have been some really great satisfying characters and then part of me has thought recently like oh this is the life i always wanted like i'm living the life i always wanted i'm getting to play all of these cool roles people haven't really vibed with them that's okay damn it rain he always has something so deep and consequential to say. It's a great lesson to do what makes you happy, even if it's not always someone else's thing. I hope the upcoming new year brings all of you at least a little closer to the life you always wanted. And I'll be back next week for some more of my favorite memories from our year here at Off the Beat. Until then, happiest of holidays and have a great week. Off the Beat is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our senior producer is Diego Tapia. Our producers are Liz Hayes, Hannah Harris, and Emily Carr. Our talent producer is Ryan Papa Zachary, and our intern is Ali Amir Sahin. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by the one and only Creed Bratton. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello! Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., 
And I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.